Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. Uh, with you, as always, this is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Jeremy Scott, the voice of CinemaSins. Hello. And Barrett Cher, music video sins writer. Hello. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the best year, best movies of uh, the years that we were alive. We're going to start that first. We're not going to go through 1975 all the way to 2016, but we're going to start with 1975. Then we're going to go and opine uh, what our favorite year, uh, best year in movies is. So we're going to start this with 1975 because that is the year Jeremy was born. Uh, Jeremy, you want to take this uh, conversation? Sure. I'm old. Um, So a long time ago, somebody asked a question when I was doing Q&A videos. um, You know, what's your favorite movie from every year you've been alive? Uh, And I was really fascinated by that. And it seemed too good and deep a conversation to just do a one-off Q&A answer or to do it in a tweet. And then we started doing this podcast, and this is the perfect place for us to have this discussion. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go year by year, one year per episode until we're done, from the year I was born till today. Um, and we're going to debate and discuss uh, our favorite movies from that year. And then we're going to collectively have to pick the, the CinemaSin Sincast favorite movie from that year and there will be an official list at the end you can put on the blog or something all right so Attica! Attica! i'm talking about god the devil hell heaven do you understand finally we are the knights who say Ni! uh i'm the oldest i was born in 75 i didn't see any movies that year um hmm. i have seen many from that year uh since then and uh just to, for the sake of general discussion, I'm going to throw out um, a couple that I really love, and we'll let you guys chime in. Uh, this is the year that Jaws came out, mm-hmm. and uh, if, you might be tempted to just call it right there, uh, but if you dig a little deeper, this year had a lot of great movies, and a lot of people's favorite movie, Monty Python <laughs> and the Holy Grail, came out that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone I know from my generation has that movie memorized. Um And so, you know, how do we quantify this as we discuss and debate? That'll be interesting to see. You know, was it the best movie artistically? Was it the movie that made the most lasting impact on the industry? Um, And might even change from year to year. But I'm I'm throwing out Jaws and Holy Grail to start this discussion as movies I think might be the best of 75. I don't know if I can argue with it. Uh, (laughs) Those two movies are are extremely important to me as far as uh, this year is concerned, Um, especially Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Really, it's Jaws and Monty Python are like one and one A or whatever you want to call it. But um, but as a as a huge fan Mm -hmm. of Airplane, when I was growing up, uh, I didn't know about Holy Grail yet until like much later, like when I was like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I finally watched it, uh, I was like, whoa, there's another like really funny comedy kind of. I mean, it's not I mean, it came out before Airplane. Uh, wow, that's amazing. I have watched My Python, the Holy Grail, probably 40 times. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those movies. Um, and it's just consistently funny every time you watch it. I mean, it, you can, you know, what's coming up and it's still hilarious. Yeah. 
Uh, and in the Jaws, uh, I frequently put Spielberg as one of my favorite directors. He's just one of those guys that, you know, when I was five, E.T. came out. So uh, anything Spielberg did, Jaws, Close Encounters, and E.T., and, you know, Jurassic Park and all these movies, I'm like, you know, that's the reason why I watch movies is because of Spielberg. So mm. um, Jaws is just is just so excellent. It's not a movie that you could make today either. Right. Right. Why is that? Um, because if you were to make a movie like Jaws, you would have studio heads saying, I want to see the shark more. Yeah. And you would have, uh, well, obviously we've had shark movies since then, um, where there's a, you know, there's just an innate need to put the freak, put some sort of CGI shark in there that's menacing. Uh, Spielberg got lucky tornado. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, Spielberg got lucky with this movie. I mean, it was, a you know, a terrible rubber robotic shark shark that they didn't want to show very often. And, uh, as it turns out, Oh, well, if you, if you let people imagine what the shark is like, then it's, uh, it's a little bit more frightening. Um, but, uh, still, if you made Jaws today, you wouldn't have all the character development that's, uh, that they throw in. I mean, it takes, it takes a while for them to actually go out into the water and find, try to find this thing. Oh um, God, I could argue that the movie's not even about the shark. It's about those three guys on the boat. Oh, it definitely is. It's sort of, yeah. uh, you know, it's sort of your kind of modern day for 75 Moby Dick type of movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and, and those, those three guys, I mean, there's, there's those, lo- those nice, long, very entertaining conversations on the boat and everything. You know, they're talking about their scars and, and, uh, they're, you know, the singing the songs and all that. And it just, it takes, they take, the movie takes its time and it builds suspense through that. And, um, you would never be able to make that today. There's no way that, anybody would any major studio like universal would allow a movie like jaws to be made like that right it's the anti dawn of justice right <laughs> yeah it really is <laughs> when when you think about it it's the anti dawn of justice one of my favorite lines from movies just ever for some reason want to get drunk and fool around oh yeah like, absolutely <laughs> classic to me like anytime uh, it's around there but yeah it's it's like four or five different movies in one, right? Yeah. Spanning genres of horror and action and suspense and uh, comedy even. Yeah. And, and, and I also, I mean, I like just the part where like uh, after, after Brody uh, much against his will uh, opens the beaches up because the, the townspeople are all like, you know, we got to make money and stuff. Um, when, after he opens up the beach and the, the, that woman's kid gets eaten and the woman comes up and starts yelling at him and screaming and all that. <laughs> and you, and, and in a, in a typical movie, you're like, oh, well, it's not his fault or whatever, but he owns it. He owns the, mm-hmm. the, the thing. He realized it, it, it is his fault. He mm-hmm. should have done more. Uh, to, to close the beaches and say, you know what? Screw your money. You're, you're going to lose all your money if your shark keeps going around and eating people. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Jaws is, yeah, is, is fantastic. Yeah. You've got a lot of influential stuff in 1975. Indeed. Holy Grail is obviously the absurdist comedy, uh, satire type of thing. Rocky Horror Picture Show 
Yeah. It was a big thing that, that really came out of nowhere. I mean, there Which was a lot is, of things that, that really like broke the mold or, or set the mold for future stuff, right? Yeah. And the Rocky Horror Picture Show is awful. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we're, we, <laughs> that movie, you can't put that in here. Uh, well, I, my point being, being from my perspective, 1975 was a great year for music movies. Oh, yeah. And yeah, Rocky Horror Picture Show is, yeah, it's not a great cinematic achievement. But musically, it's terrific. Yeah, the songs are the songs are good. Yeah. But God, well, that it, movie is so. I mean, it's so long. It seems like it's only an hour and forty minutes, but it's like forever. it feels like it's three hours. But there's, a, I think, a cultural impact there that at least earns it a spot on the discussion list. Um, even if it's a terrible movie, it's look at look at what it, it still is today. Um, there are people that adore that thing, and uh, in terms of like setting the stage for these group showings of the room where people throw things at the screen. Like that was all Rocky Horror Picture Show that laid the groundwork for that. Yeah. 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 And well, I mean, talk about quality uh, under influence. The Who's Tommy came out this year too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I noticed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that was a, a huge achievement. You know, I mean, there had been a, a few before, obviously with the Beatles and things like that, but nobody had really taken it to the scope of the, the full rock opera uh, cinematically at least. And that is a movie that I've probably watched 30, 35 times. Um, and then you have what, what I, what I'm going to put is the challenger. The, there's a few challengers to Jaws, but the, my main challenger would be Robert Altman's Nashville, which we oh, talked about yeah. a little bit in it before. But man, that is such a rewatchable film. It's, it's got its flaws, but the, the music in it and the fact that everybody's singing their own part, they wrote their own part. I mean, it, it just, it's so cohesive and I, it, it, talk about influential too. Yeah, I think that really had a big impact. I know that, um, and, and I, I'm not alone in this. Um, people from Nashville, and I'm I'm one of these people. Um, when you watch it, you're like, oh my god, he's just he's just making fun of Nashville. Uh, when you first watch it, um, and the movie's three hours, so it doesn't have a lot of like you know I'm going to go watch this again type of uh, you know uh, feel to it. But I actually yeah. gave Nashville a couple more chances, and I realized that uh, while there are some things that are that are kind of specific to Nashville as far as uh, making fun of us, it's it really is the United States as a whole sure. that it is it is uh, satirizing and. Um, it's a, an interesting historical document. It's a Nashville before I was born. And, uh, and there's the places like the exit end don't look, don't look at all like the exit end anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, but there's that Parthenon still there in, in Centennial Park, the Parthenon that, uh, you know, yeah. And, um, it, it's, uh, it's, um, uh, I mean, that movie has, you know, it's just, this is what defines Altman-esque, right? The, the multiple sprawling stories. Yep. Uh, and uh, you don't know exactly where it's headed, but once it gets there, you're like, oh, all this culminated into that. And um, I have really grown some super appreciation for this movie over the years. I have a friend that would um, beat my ass if I didn't bring up One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think could be a challenger, uh, for the top spot as well. Uh, both Actually the one that won best picture in 1975. Yeah. yeah both yeah. because it's, it's fantastic. It's great. Uh, the performances are great, but it's also, it's one of those movies that history has decided was really important. So a lot of like, I've seen college professors showing it to students and um, you know, I'm sure it's something they show in film school a lot. Um, 
just because it touches on so many different, I don't know. I really love that movie, but um, <clears throat> what do you guys think? It's fun. I, I've seen on one flew over the cuckoo's nest twice. Um, I, I am, I'm, I don't really hold it as high in regard as a lot of people do. Um, it, it's, it's never really connected with me personally. Um, that much. I think it's a good movie for sure. Uh, it's just not anything that's really hit me that well, but I, but I bet Barrett has some more to say about this <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So I've worked in psychiatry for the last 15 to 16 years and it, uh, it really hits home with me on a, a number of different levels. My, my wife is a psychiatric nurse, the polar opposite of nurse ratchet, uh, <laughs> but, but it's iconic. It's like it, I brought his performance up in one flew over the cuckoo's nest when we were talking about the shining, uh, because, Jack Nicholson's performance is iconic. Uh, Louise Fletcher's uh, performance is iconic. Uh, the guy that plays the chief is like DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, like everybody in there is a specific piece that works beautifully together. And with Kesey's story and everything and just the arc of the whole narrative, it's influential in the way that Foreman shot it and the way that it was presented and that kind of thing. The performances are influential and iconic and help define Nicholson's career and I think the story itself being set in, in where it was is hugely impactful. I could see why this is uh, taught in colleges. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know I, just one little note about this. I know that Ken Kesey, the guy who wrote the uh, the book, hates this movie. Wow. Um, it, he has some like really strong uh, – I can't find it right now, but – he has some really strong lines, something about like, what would you think if someone took one of your kids and murdered them or something like that? It's something like that. So Nicholson has a, a track record between Kesey and Stephen King yeah. right afterwards right. of pissing off the author of the performance. <laughs> it's exactly right. Um, um, you know what? Uh, okay. So out of this group, you guys have already taken all the best ones, obviously. Um, but there is, I mean, okay. So dog day afternoon, I like, okay, but I'm going to go with three days of the condor. Ah. Um, three days of the condor is really fun. And, uh, and I'm telling you, that's another reason why I probably don't like winter soldier that much hmm. is that they, it was compared to that movie so many times, uh, during it, Robert Redford, <laughs> well, Robert Redford and the whole, uh, you know, conspiracy government type thing. But man, you want to talk about a paranoia thriller that is amazing and works on so many levels. It's three days of the condor. That's a, that's just an entertaining movie through and through. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it's not going to go up against all these other movies that we talked about, but uh, it is something that it, I hope that it, out of this conversation, uh, if you haven't seen that movie, you need to go see it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just I, I have the Stepford Wives listed as another sort of, you know, culturally important film, mm. but uh, not one that I would put in an argument for the top spot. But it, I mean, if you want to go and explore uh, 1975 movies, um, I would probably watch all the ones we brought up. Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, and uh, and there's also one. There's another. There's a Stanley Kubrick movie that came out this year. Uh, Barry yeah. Lyndon, yeah. Uh, which uh, is. Uh, that is an interesting trial and in patience, by the way. 
some of his movies are. Uh, that's a that's a movie that if you're a really big fan of Kubrick and you pop that in, you're like, what the hell is this? Well, I don't know what's going on. And uh, and it's and it's a period piece and it's slow and it's, uh, you know, and then you read about it and it's like, oh, so so Kubrick found a way to light with candlelight. That's great. This movie isn't very good. I don't think you know, <laughs> that type of thing. But uh, Barry Lyndon is also I mean, if you want if you're a Kubrick uh, completist, you you know, you have to watch that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is the one you have to scratch off. Last. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Are we ready to vote? Yeah, let's vote. All right, Barrett. Well, this is I, I think this is going to be the easiest one. Our first one. But you can't go wrong. I think the the number two would be One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, even though the the Holy Grail is so influential. I, it has to go to Jaws. All right, Chris. Yeah, the two that you mentioned, Jaws and Monty Python, are going to be mine, um, just because of just sheer watchability on both on both of those movies' parts. All right, but if I force you to choose one with, at gunpoint, Monty Python. Wow, you just mm. created suspense for the final vote because I <laughs> threw out both of those, and I'm going Jaws. Well, and considering that I would put Jaws at second, uh, and I think Barrett also mentioned Jaws, uh, Jaws is going to probably win this. Yeah, yeah that, I'd put Jaws at number one and yeah. Cuckoo's Nest at number two. Yeah. Right. So. so we have collectively decided on here on the Syncast that Jaws is our favorite slash the best movie from 1975. Yay. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> and there was much rejoicing. No yeah. irony. Not, no irony. I'm sure is going to have a drink to celebrate. He uh, is. Yes. He has been dying for us to mention Jaws because nobody else does. Why won't they talk about me? <laughs> There is an interesting video, if you can find it, of Spielberg um, uh, trying to he's trying he's watching something. He's listening or something, whatever. He's in a room and uh, he's waiting for his name to be called for best director on Jaws. And I don't think he gets the nomination. And uh, and he's like <laughs> and it's like in his room where everybody's expecting him to get. Uh, a nomination for it and everything. And he's like, everybody's drinking and all this other stuff. If you can find that video, it's pretty fun to watch. Um, I think that's what it, what I don't think he got nominated though in that movie. No, he wasn't. He wasn't nominated. Oh, you checked really quick. So yeah, he, uh, there's a, yeah, there's a video of him just like expecting to get nominated because it's, you know, the number one movie of 1975. And I think the, you know, picture is a foregone conclusion and then his name doesn't get called. Oh, no. It's amazing. All right. So we'll do 76 uh, on the next Syncast. And I guess now, Chris, uh, you want to transition us into the main topic for today? It was a very good year. The best years. Okay, so uh, on to what we think is the best year in movies. Now, uh, obviously, I think all three of us had some different criteria on this. Oh, sure. Um, and obviously, none of us has, except for me, I think, seen all the major movies in one year. And for me, that was 2005. And that'll be a whole other discussion someday. Um, cause 2005 is the most garbage year ever created. <laughs> um, just how happens to be the one year that I watched every major release that came out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we haven't seen everything in every, in, in every year. So obviously this is something that is, you know, it's not totally scientific or anything, but, um, it's something kind of fun to think about. Um, and uh if and we we did some research and everything and um so Barrett what 
what do you think is your is your best year of movies? One of the most recent ones that I remember being the most um, enjoyable to watch was 2007. Mm. Yeah, and really good year. Mm. What I thought about 2007, like it was a lot of stuff that, you know, publicly just enjoyable, like super bad and like hot fuzz and uh, grindhouse and stuff like that. But what really struck me going through it is that it was a terrific year for directors. Yeah. Mm-mm. You had the Coens doing No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. You had Paul Thomas Anderson, which my friend Jonathan says I've got a boner for this movie. Uh, there will be blood. Uh, guess what? I have a boner for that movie too. We've we've all got boners right now. Just right, to totally. Apatow had knocked up, which really you know cemented him. Fincher had Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Affleck had Gone Baby Gone. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Brad Bird had Ratatouille and yep. Greengrass with uh, Born Ultimatums. It was a really, really great year. Yeah, for and I would even add uh, Sean Penn with Into the Wild. Yep. Um, yeah. And um, I've got a I got a bunch of movies listed for 2007. But yeah, you're right. Uh, really good director year. I was going to say right before you said uh, good year for directors, I thought you were going to say good year for dramas um, because yeah. you know you have Michael Clayton, Atonement. Um, you know, all the ones you've mentioned, No Country, There Will Be Blood, Into the Wild, Zodiac, Gone Baby Gone, 310 to Yuma came out that year. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I Am Legend, uh, geez, The Simpsons movie, that's not a drama, but it came out that year. It was a good year for, maybe it was just a good year for everything. Yeah, it's, uh, I, when I did this, when I did this list and looking at these years, I think this is the last really good year that I can remember. Um, I went past 2007 and nothing was close to this one. Um, there was something magic in the air that year. I think yeah. no country for old men and there will be blood were basically shot in about the same place too. And there, there were, there were points where those productions were almost running into each other yeah. and they ended up being the top two, like consideration for best picture that year. Yeah. God, wouldn't you want to watch like a crossover episode or a video with like Daniel Plainview and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> yeah. 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 Plainview and Anton Sigur looking at it you know, doing something. Somebody asked a question that I, I have on the list for questions later. I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it now is that, you know, what they asked, what did we think of Fargo, the TV show, which I think we've already discussed a little um, and what other movies might you, you want to see turned into a show in the way they did Fargo. And I immediately thought of no country for old men. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it, of course, it's Cohen Cohen Brothers again. But it, you take the, if you can give me a show with new characters that has the feel of that movie, man, I'm in. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, other things in 2007, I listed. I don't know if you guys have seen them, but uh, one of the best movies, another one of the best movies of 2007 is The Lives of Others. Mm. Um, another really good movie. Um uh, another one is Away From Her, the Sarah Polly directed, uh, mm-hmm. directed one. Uh, yeah. Another one is an, uh, a, sort of a uh, more adult animated, not because it has like nudity or any, anything in it, but Persepolis is another one that came oh, out yeah. that year. Really good movie. And then the documentary The King of Kong came out mm-hmm. that year as well. Another fun, uh, fun movie to watch. Sunshine came out that year. Yep. Um, and then movies that I've come to appreciate more on video like smoke and aces and uh, the mist it was just a solid year yeah the mist 
has the record for most people pissed off by its last scene. Oh my god, that's that's what I love about the mist, though. <laughs> what everybody brings up is what they hate about the mist. Is what I love about the mist. I know uh, because I hate it when it's like they're about to shoot somebody. You know, something happens, and then there's the ex machina that comes in. This time, the ex machina comes in too late, oh. and I love it. Um. <laughs> Uh, what else was on here? There was, yeah, you had the mist and there's also 1408, another old Stephen King uh, novella or short story or whatever that was turned into a pretty fun movie uh, that came out that year. I watch that every time it's on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it grabs you. It puts you in. Yeah. Yeah. I put a lot of stuff on here. Um, it, it was it was a huge list. Uh, the stuff like Waitress came out. Did you ever see Waitress? Yeah. The Carrie Russell Carrie movie. Russell. Yeah. The uh, uh yeah he is um and uh the one who wrote it the uh the girl who wrote the the movie she uh, unfortunately tragically got murdered before mm. the movie came out um oh, yeah. uh but the the movie itself is uh is fantastic you, you can't find more appealing people than carrie russell and nathan fillion to yeah. be sort of romantic leads in a movie um another one you're talking about directors rescue dawn which was the Werner herzog oh, movie man. with christian mm. bale another movie that came out that year it was really good um christian and bale the, and um what's this uh, steve zahn <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of the weirdest castings ever, but I liked that movie a lot. Yeah. Steve Zahn goes ass backwards into some pretty amazing movies, right? He does. He really has. <laughs> yeah. If you've looked up Steve Zahn on IMDb, I'm sure he's got like 100 credits and you never really, you never realized he was in so many movies. Right. The the other one that there's a, that uh, I think it's Korean, The Host came out that year too. Uh-huh. Um Another another fun movie. Is that um, the one that the guy who did Snowpiercer directed? Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I haven't looked that up. Anyway, uh, what is your movie, Jeremy? My movie I mean, your year, your year. Sorry. All right. Well, I'm gonna. There are several years we still need to talk about after we all pick our favorite. Um, but my favorite is 1999. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, I know nobody's going to argue with me among you guys because it's just it's. I'm not picking anything that, you know, a lover of film wouldn't pick themselves. It's just so solid. I'm just going to run down at least the start of my list, and then you guys can start chiming in. My very favorite movie in the world, The Matrix, came out that year. Uh, Chris and I were working at the same theater um, watching all these, um, and it was just – I don't it was magical. <laughs> it was almost yeah. like there was, a, there was a period there where there wasn't a weekend without a really good movie. Um uh, so the other ones I remember, uh, American Beauty, um, The Sixth Sense. Uh, what, what else do you guys remember from 99 that you like? I wrote down a whole bunch on this as well. Um, Toy Story 2 came out that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, Three Kings. Yep. Eyes Wide Shut. Yep. Uh, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Uh, one movie that I think has gotten a huge cult following since it came out. I don't think it did anything when it came out was 10 things I hate about you. Yep. Uh, oh. f- fight club, obviously. Yep. Um, the insider, which is one of my favorites. Um, Ooh, yeah. The iron giant came out mm-hmm. that year. Uh, being John Malkovich. Um, I love Magnolia, even though I think some people don't. Go came out that year. Another movie that from <laughs> Doug Lyman that I really enjoy. Well, you championed uh, uh, election in a recent yeah, podcast, and, and that, that was the there. next. That was the next one on the list. 
and um, Office Space. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about uh, cult followings after video, and I thought that's what you were going to mention is Office Space. Yeah. Uh, that one just came out of nowhere, really. Yeah, Office Space is another one. Uh, Run, Lola, Run yeah. is another one that was at Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, the really fun documentary American Movie came out that year. Uh, and then I had like a whole bunch after that though, but those were the main ones. Yeah. We got to well, mention there was, a, there was an indie, uh, movie that came out in the summer. It was called the Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Technically it was. Technically it was an independent movie because Lucas, uh, put up the money for it. That's funny. Uh, and then Fox distributed it. What else, Barrett? What do you have any others? Yeah, I, I, I love Office Space in particular on there. Although I've got some problems with it that um, we'll talk about in a different uh, podcast. But of course, we mentioned the Blair Witch Project. I came out that year, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things I actually saw, I saw a lot of movies. This was right after I stopped working in the movie theater, but was still getting in for free. And I actually saw the Man on the Moon. Yeah, that year. And I remember really, really liking it. And I didn't really expect it to because this was Jim Carrey's first real big turn uh, into certainly biopics, but uh, into drama. So, yeah, it was it was enjoyable. But, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with anything this year. It's it's just start start to finish. It was terrific. A bunch of other ones I want to rattle off that are just eminently watchable films that came out that year. And I can't believe I forgot to say Galaxy Quest in the very opening. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Thomas Crown Affair came out that year. Bowfinger came out that year. Yeah. Uh, Cruel Intentions came out that year. Um, Lake Placid, Mystery Men, Girl Interrupted, Thirteenth um, Warrior, October Sky. It's just, it's just. I think this may be one of the most quoted years in cinema ever. It's funny. Well, what about what about Dogma? That that was there too, right? You know, uh, when out? I was making, the, yeah, it did. And when I was making this list, it's it's. It was funny how many how many like Kevin Smiths I would throw in there because a lot of times Kevin Smith. Even though he'd make some sort of stupid comedy like Clerks Two or whatever, I'm like I kind of enjoyed that. Uh, but Dogma was not a was not a movie I could ever get into. I, I <laughs> couldn't. Just, a lot of people couldn't. Yeah, I just couldn't get into it. Uh, so I left it off the list. But uh, you know, there's going to be some people that throw Dogma on there. But it is funny, Jeremy. You mentioned stuff like Lake Placid and Thirteenth uh, Warrior, and there was something else in there that was in that vein. Mystery Men. You, Mystery Men. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, all of those movies, you can probably find probably more people who hate it than like it. But I love Lake Placid. Me too, man. Uh, I just I, that movie is so much fun. But there's a lot of people who are, who just take it as it is. It's kind of like Cabin in the Woods where they oh, well, it's just an alligator that's killing everybody. That's stupid. And they don't take in the comedy that's in that movie. Right. right. And Betty White is hilarious in that. Oh my um, gosh. That, was a, that was a really good year for directors too. Yeah. I don't know. That I I mean yeah. Jim Jarmish released uh Ghost Dog that year. Well it, was it Ghost Dog? Yeah, Ghost yep. Dog, The Way of the mm-hmm. Samurai. Yeah. Tim Burton did Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, which I I don't like at all. Yeah, that either. <laughs> But it did come out that year. But it was um, a, it was a good coming out year, I think, for directors, right? Because Fight Club was really Fincher's big "I'm here" moment, and even though it didn't do anything, it didn't do anything at the box office. No. Um, but Three Kings uh, was the first big David O. Russell, right? Claim um, being John Malkovich. Yeah, being John Malkovich with Spike Jones. Yeah. Um, yeah, Eyes Wide Shut. You had Kubrick again. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley was Anthony Mangella. Um, even Iron Giant wasn't that the first Brad Bird movie? 
Yeah, you know? it was. And the election was, was Ale- Alexander Payne's big coming out party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had did he had he had did he had did uh, <laughs> he had done uh, Citizen Ruth before that, which was really good. Yeah, um, I like that movie. And then election was his was his follow up. Uh, so yeah, he he sort of had a coming out party there. Um, what else? The insider was Michael Mann. Yep. Magnolia's John uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. The Sixth Sense. That was M Night's big coming yeah, out. Yeah, big. Yeah, I remember M Night after that, and it was it was after that and Unbreakable, and he came out with signs. They were calling him the next Spielberg, and uh, you know what all happened to that? I think he was calling himself that. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Um, by the way, as an aside, that guy who did the host did do Snowpiercer. Ah, uh, I was right. Yes. You were I correct. Win. I win internet points. So I wanted to insert that in before, you know, you had people who are like, you know, oh, come on. He, he's the guy who did it. You know. All right, Chris, right. hit us with your year. Okay. Uh, so my, my criteria was I, I've, I've been, I had been working in movie theaters, theaters since 1993. And, uh, so I started with that because I figured I've seen more movies from 1993 on than I have before that. Uh, not to say that I couldn't go back into the eighties or the seven, especially the seventies and find a year that's amazing. But I had a feeling that if I went into the seventies and all that, I would find, you know, a handful of movies that I saw and not much else to talk about. So I went through 93 to about 2013 and in the end, 1995 won it for me. Uh, so many like really good movies came out in this year. Um, Toy Story was the, was uh, the number one movie of the year. Apollo 13 came out that year. Seven, another Fincher. That was Fincher's, if you want to really call it, talk about coming out party, that was his first major movie. I'm in, I'm in love with Crimson Tide. Um, that's uh, one of my favorites. Um, Get Shorty came out that year. Uh, Heat. Um, Babe, the American President. Twelve Monkeys. I'm a real huge fan of Clueless. Uh, Sense and Sensibility. Casino. Dead Man Walking, Jeez. Leaving Las Vegas, The Usual Suspects, Jeez. Il, Il Postino, the Italian postman that was obviously uh, way better than the Kevin Costner, not a remake <laughs> postman. Uh, to Die For came out that year. Uh, Smoke, uh, the movie Kids, which introduced us to Rosario Dawson. Uh, Before Sunrise, uh Richard Linklater, like oh, yeah. all three of those are great. The Before Sunrise, Sunset, and Midnight. Uh, a movie called Exotica came out that year. Adam McGoyan movie, really, really good. Uh, the documentary Crumb came out in 95. Uh, City of Lost Children. Living in Oblivion, which is one of my favorite movies about making movies. <laughs> uh, Kicking and Screaming came out, one of my favorite dialogue movies. And, yep. uh, and, and to top it off, and I've got more below, but swimming with sharks, yeah. uh, hits the, li- uh, that's, that was Kevin Spacey could not have had a better year, um, in than 1995, uh, seven, the usual suspects and swimming with sharks. And really, uh, swimming with sharks is the sort of the forgotten one. It was a indie movie that didn't really, I mean, it didn't nobody really saw it. It wasn't a major release or anything, but, uh, that entered, that introduced me to the Kevin Spacey of the, the shouting and yelling variety of, uh, of Kevin Spacey. Um, 
uh, Swimming with Sharks is a great movie. Um, but yeah, I was really surprised about this. I, I, every time I think about 1995, I don't really think, well, there's a lot of, there's just a few good movies here and there, I guess. But when I started writing them down and I haven't even gotten to some of the ones like I really love, but aren't great. Like the quick and the dead came out that year and, uh, the basketball diaries and empire records. Um, I, I, you know, I was like, wow, I didn't know. I was, I thought for sure 1994 or 1999 would be it. 1994, it turns out, was actually one of the lesser ones. Um, so yeah, 1995 is my pick. That's a good pick. Did you even say Braveheart? I didn't, but I put it under, I put it in the, uh, below list. Now I used to really like Braveheart, but it's, it's, I've, I've faded on it a little bit over the years. Um, I'm looking over this list of movies that came out that year and I've, I've decided I'm going to call 1995 the year of Jeremy's guilty pleasures. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. World. All right. Let me list yep. a few. Uh, bad boys, mm-hmm. uh, species. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> virtuosity. Yeah. Um, assassins. Yeah. Showgirls, <laughs> sudden yeah. death. Yeah. Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Mortal Kombat. <clears throat> you want to talk about, yeah, that's, those are definitely some like cult, like you'd some very specific, like, you know, there's not very many people who like those movies, but man, those are, those are great guilty pleasures. Oh, assassins, man. I felt like the only guy in the world that loved that movie when it came out. And I know it's silly, but, and now of course a year, a couple of years ago, they turned that uh, Antonio Banderas thing into a gif where he's leaning back and kind of like kissing his hand in satisfaction or whatever. But man, I love that. Movie. <laughs> I feel yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I feel like the girl in, uh, Jerry Maguire with that movie. Like, I love it for the movie it almost is. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like uh, it's it's definitely the last time we will see Stallone, Banderas, and Julianne Moore in one movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that was Richard Donner, too, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Well, that was what a weird, what a weird four-person pairing there to make that movie. Yeah. And so this whole uh, year, just looking over the movies, is basically TNT's lineup. Right. <laughs> yeah, on yeah. A Sunday afternoon. Yeah, like Braveheart, Waterworld, Die yeah. Hard. With yeah, the Tommy Boy, <laughs> which I also listed on here. I, the ones I put underneath as somewhats or whatever was Goldeneye, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Mister mm-hmm. uh, Holland's Opus, which is you know saccharine sweet drama, but I, I that musical number at the end always gets me. Uh, Braveheart, Mortal Kombat. I know that apparently Jeremy made a snide remark about Sabrina in one of our earlier con- uh, podcasts, but I really like Sabrina. Um, <laughs> the um, the uh, the Brady Bunch movie, which I thought was a a, a fun uh, sort of uh, you know TV remake thing where they just they you know turned it on its head, and I thought it was really funny. Uh, Tommy Boy, Friday, Billy Madison, which is when I believe Adam Sandler was good, when I thought he was funny. Quick and the Dead, Basketball Diaries, and Empire Records. Oh, and also um, Heavyweights. Did you ever see Heavyweights? I never saw that. No. It's good, man. It's really enjoyable. Um, and then uh, 
Major pain? I know it's not good. <laughs> Major pain. It's not, it's not oh good. Oh, my God. Listen, it's not good. But <laughs> if I could get you somehow to watch this movie with my college roommate, Brian, you would yeah. love it. Because Ew. he just giggled like a schoolboy, schoolgirl, whatever. Yeah. And it made me love the movie. Um, I know I watched Major Pain when it came out because I was working in a movie theater when it came out. But I don't remember much about it. I'm telling you, this is the year of my guilty pleasures. Like, there's got to be a dozen of them, at least, all from this year. Yeah. Amazing. See, now, I thought 1994 would be my favorite year because every time I think fondly back to uh, really, really big movies of the 90s, I think of the ni- uh, 1994. Uh, I wrote down the list, and I have The Lion King there. I have Speed, Pulp Fiction, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, I know a lot of people are mixed on Natural Born Killers, but I really like it. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption, which did nothing, by the way. This is a big shock to people when I tell people that the Shawshank Redemption didn't do anything at the box office in 1994. And because people hold that movie in so high regard and everything. And by the way, the Shawshank Redemption also would be a, a feature movie theater story whenever we uh, uh, get back to that, because there's a, a really crazy thing involving that. Um the the professional came out in 94 yep uh hoop dreams another great documentary came out in 94 ed wood uh uh quiz show which of course jeremy and i both really love uh the last seduction came out that year clerks the hudsucker proxy which i think jeremy and i only like (laughs) um and uh, a movie that I always try to tell people to go watch uh, if they can ever find it, because this is the rap spinal tap fear of a black hat. They, you have to go watch fear of a black hat. That is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Um, but after that you have, you know, I mean, Forrest Gump, that's a movie that I really liked when it came out. It's sort of faded over the years. Um, True Lies came out that year. Ace Ventura, The Crow, Reality Bites, The Ref, another, by the way, another Kevin Spacey um, uh, showpiece before he was really famous. Um, if you want to talk about um, a guilty pleasure, Surviving the Game. Did you ever see that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Surviving the Game is a fun movie. PCU, another like really... <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, Red Rock West, which I think John Dahl did both Red Rock, Rock West and Last Seduction. Both are really good. Um, the David O. Russell uh, debut, Spanking the Monkey, came out mm-hmm. uh, that year. Uh, there's a good version of Body Snatchers that came out. And then Killing Zoe, which is uh, Roger Avery's uh, movie after, uh, you know, he helped write Pulp Fiction or whatever. He actually directed that. Um so 94 was good, but like then I looked, I was looking at all the bad movies that came out that year. And, um, and 94 is chock full of horrible movies. It, it almost dis, uh, disqualifies it. I do want to mention a few others I love from that year. Um, Bullets Over Broadway came out that year. Um, it's probably my favorite Woody Allen movie. Um, and then, uh, Nobody's Fool with Paul Newman. Yeah. Sort of a small little drama ensemble. With uh, I think Bruce Willis is in it. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, and uh, I think you named pretty much everything else that I had listed for that year. <laughs> uh, just it's a really great it's a great year for good movies, but it's also like one of the worst years for just movies in general. I actually want to kind of divert this a little bit because I'm a evil bastard. I want to talk about the year in music in 1991. 
And the reason that I want to do this is because it's 25 years old. And there was a ter- it was insane how influential this year was. This was the year, and I'll just be brief about it. This was the year that Nirvana's Nevermind came out. Pearl Jam's 10 came out. Metallica's Black Album. Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Uh, U2's Octung Baby. And R.E.M.'s Out of Time came out. Wow. Which you know, obviously, just blew people's minds. And, and wasn't what's the um? Do you know the story where was it? Nevermind came out on the same day as two other big albums: Blood Sugar Sex Magic by Red Hot Chili Peppers, mm-hmm. and the other one was uh, Out of Time, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 oh no, it was the Low End Theory. It was a Tribe Called Quest Low yeah, End Theory. That came yeah, out the all of that came out on the same day. Yeah, yeah. And, and but like Prince released an album this year, Diamonds and Pearls. Michael Jackson released Dangerous this year. Uh, it was a huge year for for music in general, and it's still being felt today. It's twenty five years later, but I it, when you go back and you look at Everything we've been talking about, how, you know, all these movies kind of coalesce in 1995 or somewhat surprisingly, or 2007, you can just go on and on and on. 1991 was one of those years and one of very few that uh, resulted, you know, afterwards. It was a enormous year. And I just, I, I loved going through it and all the, the stuff that it. Awesome. Yeah. You evil bastard. Can we go back to talking about movies? <laughs> no. All right, fine. All right. So the one that almost won for me, um, almost purely for just cultural status, was 1982. Mm. Um, And I'm just going to rattle them off. Blade Runner, The Thing, E.T., Wrath of Khan, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Conan the Barbarian, Gandhi, Tron, Poltergeist, Rambo, Dark Crystal, Secret of Nim, Tootsie, Officer and a Gentleman, Porky's, Annie, The Verdict, Sophie's Choice, The Road Warrior, and Diner. Wow. wow. Yeah, it is a really good year, actually. Um, out of that one, out of all that group, you know, obviously E.T. is really, uh, really good for me. It's one of my first big movies, but uh, a movie that I, I found later on in life was The Verdict. Yeah. Um, that movie is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you never, that's one of those that I probably judged by its title or whatever. And I'm like, ah, you know, it sounds like another, you know, Oh, the verdict. Okay, that doesn't sound exciting. But then you watch it, and and Paul Newman is so good. It's just like a presumed innocent. Right? You're like, oh, yeah. that sounds boring. And then the movie is awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Boy, has any character gone sideways quicker than Rambo? <laughs> <laughs> from first, from what was presented in First Blood to what it, Rambo First Blood Part Two, that's a pretty enormous change. Yeah, although I, I'm I'm going to blame the '80s on that. Um, the the, the, blame the '80s, yeah, because yeah. it starts off. You know, if you, you know that movie came out, the first one came out in '82, so we're still sort of residually doing '70s movies by that point. Um, and and then you had, I believe, I don't, I can't look this up, I don't think, but I believe that's when the producers, uh, Mario Casser and um. They they came in and they started making these movies more you know more fit for um, the eighties audiences who were demanding like that bloodlust and whatever it's that Cold War type of type of stuff and um, and uh, and so they they started like movies started getting super ridiculous with that type of stuff. And you know the so the first one is sort of a you know for for a while there it's a sensitive 
you know, Vietnam War veteran type of thing. Look at how he's been treated when he's gotten back and and all that. And and he's he's sort of forced to take on uh, what he does. And, you know, in the movie, but then the second one, by the second one, it's like, all right, I've already crossed that line. Uh, let's just make this Come like a war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, by the second one, though, he's yeah, it's the the producers, Mario Kassler and Andrew G. Vanya, uh, who 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 ended up being producers, I believe, on Terminator and Terminator 2 and all that. Like, so back in the 80s, if you think about violent action film, that was the, those, those guys were usually behind it. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I think that's what happened to it was part two. We're like, well, we, we know what people like about Rambo and it's that he kills people. Let's make, <laughs> let's let's make that all of it, man. Yeah, that's a really good year. That's a good pick. Yeah. All right. Should we do a couple questions? Yeah, let's do them. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. All right. So the one I think we're all most excited to answer is uh, someone asked what our favorite scores or soundtracks are. Um, and I'm going to try my best to do this conversation without breaking into song because I tend to <laughs> sing the ones that I'm talking about, but I'll, I'll go ahead and lead off with probably my very favorite, uh, score ever is, uh, the one for the untouchables. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> with, uh, Costner and, uh, Sean Connery and it's uh, about Al Capone and prohibition and violence. And the score is just so percussive. It's all these orchestral hits like dun, 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 mm, yeah. and it adds the tension so uh, and then it brings in the high horn anyway i could listen to that main theme uh any anytime you want turn it on right yeah. now i'm, I'm game uh um, that's uh that's ennio morricone who uh somehow shamefully only won his first oscar this year for hateful eight um it was a good the hateful eight was a good score but yeah you're right that was a criminal that he hadn't won one before read yeah. Barrett, you got a good one? Well, I have I, I love scores and big fan of all the main guys like, you know, John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith and James Horner and all that stuff. There's there's some really great soundtracks that are kind of getting lost. It's it's not a, a big thing these days is movie soundtracks. My favorite of all time is singles. Uh, from 1992. Yeah, that's a great one. A bad movie, but a terrific. Oh, soundtrack. take that back! <laughs> <laughs> you take that back. <laughs> Are you serious? Singles is great. I love man. that movie. Oh, God. Yeah. Now, I, yeah. It, anyway, but that's for another conversation. But for the the soundtrack itself is a an incredible microcosm of Seattle, in particular, with one exception. In the 90s, in the early 90s. And this came very, very close after what I just said about 1991 uh, of the whole Nirvana Pearl Jam uh, revolution, the grunge revolution. But it's got two of the best Pearl Jam songs on any album mm -hmm. and has a lot of uh, Alice in Chains and uh, Mother Love Bone, which basically birthed Pearl Jam. Uh, Chris Cornell doing an acoustic thing before an acoustic thing was a thing. And then, strangely enough, and the, the very last track on the soundtrack is a Smashing Pumpkin song, which has nothing to do with Seattle. <laughs> yeah. And actually serves to kind of be a part of the, the, the theme music for the, the whole thing, along with Paul Westerberg's thing. So that's by far my favorite soundtrack. Yeah. So, and who was it who originally did that song, Touch Me, I'm Dick? Was that Mother Love Bone? It may have been Mother Love Bone, yeah. Or Mud Honey. 
uh it was one of those one of the the, the og seattle bands um, yeah it's one of the best jokes of the movie is matt Dillon talking about the meaning of touch me i'm dick and uh and uh and he's like he's like uh he's like you know i you know i think you could look at it two ways like uh so one is my name is dick and you can touch me and uh well you know i just think you can see it both ways you know it doesn't go into the other one you know never lets on that the the song is just very simply about you know touching somebody's dick and his band uh, is played by pearl jam the the actual yeah, yeah. Uh, members of pearl jam yeah. chris yeah. cornell makes a a uh, a cameo in there and yep. a lot of guys do yeah um i wrote down a whole bunch but i, I mean how do you pick out of this? Um, the one that uh, growing up that I loved the most was the natural, the Randy Newman score right. for that movie. Um, that's as iconic as it gets, but yeah. Um, but, uh, recently, uh, well, not really. Last of the Mohicans is always a good one, but that's one, that's one that's always brought up or whatever, but, um, but, uh, recently there's a commercial on TV that's been playing that dark night score. Ooh. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I re- realized how much I love that score too. Yeah. Um, the dark night, uh, Hans Zimmer and, uh, James Newton Howard are both credited on that, but, um, but, uh, that's a, that's a great score. Um, but if I had to pick out of that, I'd probably go the natural, We have, but I have like 10 others. Yeah. I really <laughs> want to make sure I mention. um, Michael Giacchino, if I'm pronouncing that right, yeah, who is my very favorite active composer, right? Who's done stuff like The Incredibles and Up, but uh, and Lost, but uh, his theme, his main theme for the new Star Trek movies is just it kills me that, mm-hmm. and it's in both of the both of the films that, mm-hmm. and it's it's just so good and it's so Trek and it's uh it's. It's probably my favorite piece of score to listen to that's been written in the last 20 years. Yeah. And and if there was one other one that if I were to take a pick out of this list that I wrote that I would I'd feel upset if I didn't is Fargo, the Carter Burwell soundtrack mm-hmm. for uh, the movie um, that that there, there's times where I'll just be in the middle of something and all of a sudden I'll be like, So I wonder uh, what the listeners are going to think about us all singing our scores. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not going to think too kindly of it actually. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, let's go on to the, unless Barrett, you got some more or. Well, I, you know, everybody loves John Williams and rightfully so. And as I was researching this, I was, I I really love the home alone score Mm -hmm. that he he did when I was listening to it. It sounds a lot like the Harry Potter theme. Mm-hmm. Like the Hedwig's thing, like yeah, a, uh, yeah. So that that's one of my favorite. I love the Home Alone score, and I love a lot of what John Williams does. Yeah, and, and it might be an interesting topic of conversation someday to to talk about how composers sort of go back over uh, older sco- scores in their original. Like, like uh, I love James Horner, but that guy did so many like repeat type of things like um one of the so scores that i wrote down was sneakers because i love the sneaker score so much and Mm -hmm. but then later on in apollo 13 and titanic and all that you hear that stuff from sneakers in it um 
and he's just kind of like redoing doing that type of stuff but you see that in a lot of those uh thomas newman is like i think the biggest defender of this like almost everything is shawshank redemption um nowadays when he comes out with a new score and hans zimmer even though i really like hans zimmer i like all these guys uh but hans zimmer i mean you can hear pirates of the caribbean and crimson tide which he did a few years before that so um it's, it's funny. It, it Crimson Tide was on earlier today, and I was watching it, and I literally had that thought. That sounds like the the because there's that part where it's like, yeah, yeah. It sounds exactly like what he does with Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. later, and of course, Pirates of the Caribbean is the one that he's known for. But um, and it's but great. Did. I love the score to that first Pirates movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, it's Crimson Tide where you first hear that that score, kind of so. All right, I think we I think we probably have time for like one more question. But uh, before okay. we do that, I want to say one more score. Uh, okay. Star Trek 6 Undiscovered Country. Ooh. Um mm. just uh, I would cut. encourage you to go listen to the main theme. Um Is that also Horner? Is that also who? Horner? James no, Horner? I don't think it is. I know he did some Star Treks, right? Was the theme Jerry Goldsmith? It was, oh, it might be Jerry Goldsmith. It was Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, Jerry Goldsmith's the guy who did it. All right. So anyway, it's got this. It starts like the opening credits with this very simple na 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 na, and then that just repeats over and over. And he just starts throwing all these layers. And there's probably there's a moment where there's like three or four counter melodies going all at once, and it culminates in this huge bombastic. God, I love it so much. Like, and I love that movie. Um, maybe my second favorite Star Trek movie, but uh, I think half the reason I love it so much is that score. Um, and I just wanted to mention that because you know, I'm close personal friends with the uh, composer whose name I couldn't remember. Yeah, and <laughs> the I, I I like that movie too. The uh, the it was sort of a makeup movie for the Final Frontier that they came out with before that well, was all. A lot of people so, didn't like the whales number four. I do, but. Um, I know a lot of people who love that movie, though. There are. But I think Six is sort of like that era's Wrath of Khan, where they sort of – one of the reasons I like it so much is it it gives us some good space battles, but it also has like this big – like murder mystery at the at the heart of it, um, which is sort of a different feel for a Star Trek movie. Um, yeah. Anyway, I love that movie. I don't know. Can we, can we stay on this for just a little bit longer? Because sure. we've got so much material on it. Because I've got a really good one that I want to ask you guys about. Go for it. Skip the last question, and then we'll just talk about this till we're done. Yeah. Okay. So Alfonso Suarón in 1998 released Great Great Expectations mm. with. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Ethan Hawke and uh, Anne Bancroft and, and yeah, everything. not a very good movie. Now, see, that's where I would differ. I think it's a, a very good movie mm. and a terrific soundtrack. Yeah, I'm wondering if Jeremy, have you heard the soundtrack? I saw the movie once and didn't like it, so I couldn't tell you anything about it. I think it's kind of up your alley in in terms of like kind of the oh, uh, the it's going to be a bunch of like pop rock, isn't it? It is absolutely pop rock, very Bieber esque. Oh, no, know, it's got you know it's got. Like <laughs> No, it's got like Tori Amos did some of her the theme and everything, and I'm not a huge Tori Amos fan. But the stuff that she did was really good. It has it also has an acoustic Chris Cornell song that's really terrific. <laughs> oh, wow. And so the whole thing is terrific. I can listen to it start to finish, which again is a weird thing for soundtracks these days. So if you get a chance, everybody check out Great Expectations soundtrack from nineteen. I love that you're contributing soundtracks. And we're not just saying all scores because you know, I think you're a lot more familiar with that side of the music than I am anyway in terms of – but I know that I bought the soundtrack to Jerry Maguire 
um, just because mm-hmm. uh, I loved so many of the songs in it. And of course, that's the same guy that did singles. Uh, so say what you want about Cameron Crowe. I think he's one of the best uh, up there with Tarantino at picking the right pre-existing songs to underscore moments in his movies. Um, that's that's an excellent point. And Tarant- to go back to the Tarantino's soundtracks, especially in the 90s, were some of the best that have ever existed. And and it was a complete mishmash of eras. He wasn't beholden to whatever time period the movie was in. He would just take it and and throw it in and it would make perfect sense. Yeah, he he and he you know, I guess what his uh, his musical background was was that he would always uh listen to these records that you know, his mom left behind or whatever, or not whatever it was. He, and he used to listen to these, um, these records that, that have songs on them that you're, you know, you don't really, they, they're not really the super popular hits no. of those, of those eras, but, but you listen to them and wonder why they weren't. Um, because there's so many good songs in there. Um, the one that always pops in my head for Tarantino is, uh, the the um the down in Mexico song during the lap dance scene of uh, Death Proof uh, oh, because yeah. it's just so real it's just <laughs> such a good song um uh you know forget that there's lap dancing going on but um the uh the song itself is just uh, amazing um and it, it's something I had never heard before and apparently yeah. and apparently Tarantino um. Uh, he had some rare recording of it or whatever and, and popped it on. He's so proud of it. I, I don't think there's ever or one of the few times that there's a better pairing of a song and a scene is when Uma Thurman puts on Son of a Preacher Man in Pulp mm, Fiction. Yeah, for sure. That's beautiful. It's perfect. I own that soundtrack. I listen to it regularly. It's great. It's my, I don't yeah, and, we didn't mention that. That's the blaring surf music. Uh, <laughs> else is really good. Yeah, that that's uh, the only thing that kind of dates it is the surf music because it that didn't really catch on, did it? But the timeless stuff for sure is uh, is good. Um, the surfy song, yeah, I do too. Uh, but it, it, they're horribly dated. Um, that, I guess another score that I would throw on there one that one that always gets me pumped in the movie is Heat. Oh, um, yeah. and Elliot Goldenthal did that one. Um, uh, but during the, uh, during the robbery scene, it's really very simple. You know, it's, doom, 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 you know, it's, yeah. it's, all, it's, all, it's all it really does, but it, it really grabs you and puts you in that movie. So, um, and, and, and the rest of the scores too is good too, but it's, it's that in particular that I always think about when it, when it comes to heat. So soundtracks and scores, obviously a big, huge topic and it took up all our time. But, uh, anyway, uh, we'll get to some more questions, uh, down the road. I'm sure. Hopefully we may have to do a mini pod full of questions just to get to yeah. the backlog Actually, of them at like some that. point. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, we'll get to that at some point. If you have any comments or, uh, you know, rants about this, uh, podcast, go to SoundCloud and, uh, and lay it on us. Anyway, that's the podcast for this week. Uh, uh, as always, it's Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Barrett Share signing off. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.
Yeah, so you've all heard our new theme song uh, for the intro and the outro that was made by uh, an artist named Lorange, L-O-R-A-N-G-E. He's a, a Nashvillian and uh, reached out to us, and we love his music. We want everybody to listen to it. Uh, if you go to his website, it is lorangeproductions.com. You can hear all of his stuff and blew us away. So go there, listen to his stuff, follow him on Twitter. Uh, stalk his house, uh, no, get into his back no, seat don't, in no, his don't car. That. Just no, 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 no stalking, no stalking at all. All right. Well, you can you can insert that, right? Do we need to go over that? That's what she said. That's right. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. 